I, uh, every once in a while, I can be domestic, meaning that I will uh, do my occasion of uh, house chores, and some of that uh, will involve uh, vacuuming, which I don't always enjoy, but I do vacuum every once in a while. And one of the things that is the most frustrating, whether it's here or at home or any time, have you ever picked up a vacuum? You're like, okay, I'm going to do this, got to get this done. And something isn't right with that vacuum. And you're doing a lot of motion, you're making a lot of noise, and you pick that thing up and it's got something all wrapped up in that, that brush and you're like, why did I even pull this thing out of the closet? And what you thought was going to be about a 10-minute quick little vacuum and get your brownie points there, uh, men, uh, ends up being the biggest hassle, and you're taking that thing apart, and you find that one of the kids or somebody, you know, they got something all wrapped in string or a doll's hair. That was always the, the thing, you know, just all in there. And things get tangled up. Well, life is kind of like that, isn't it? Life gets tangled up, and sometimes it's the small things that tangles things up that stops your progress. And the Bible tells us that God wants us to progress. God wants us to grow in our relationship and our faith, grow closer to the Lord, grow grow closer to our family, our friends, uh, to have a progress where as Christians, and again, the Lord's Prayer could easily be called the disciples' prayer, the followers of Jesus' prayer. Jesus doesn't have to ask, forgive me of my sin. So it isn't really a prayer he's praying for himself. He's teaching followers uh, what to pray or how to pray. And part of the prayer is that we're growing in this relationship with our Heavenly Father as we began uh, the Lord's Prayer study. And a lot of times we will blame people and situations, you know, we'll blame Biden, we'll blame the economy, we're still milking COVID, right? Blaming that for something of of why there's these issues, why there's problems in my life. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that. It's my car, it's my family, it's my house. It's always something that seems to affect our life that we see as tangling things up in our life to keep us from moving forward. Just like that vacuum. When that brush stops and it's tangled up and it's entangled in something, it's not doing what it was made to do. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off. In other words, whatever holds us back, whatever prevents our progress, let's throw it off. Let's get rid of it. Let's dump everything that hinders our progress. Everything that hinders, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, like strings in that vacuum brush, that so easily entangles, and let us run with what? Perseverance. 
not quitting the race marked out for us. This is the fourth part of our of the of the Lord's prayer, the fifth message, but the fourth part of the prayer and we're just kind of taking it piece by piece. And this morning, the Lord's prayer that we're looking at this morning is verse 12 where it says and forgive us our debts or sins really is what it said. Forgive us our debts, sins or transgressions, uh, versions vary a little bit, but he's talking about forgive us of our sins, and then the next part that we'll look at next week is forgive as we forgive those who have sinned against us. There's a word that uh, is used, if you've been a believer for a while, you've heard it around here, and it's just, it's a, it's a technical word, but you can't get around it, it's a, maybe a big word, but, um, but it just is, addresses what I believe this morning the direction we'll talk about in this part of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our sins, and that is the word sanctification. Sanctify. To sanctify something means to set it apart. And so sanctification can be defined as a progressive work of God. Talking about the believer in the believer's life, you have justification. That means when we are saved, we are justified, we are made right, we are before God just as if I've never sinned, we are in reconciliation with the Lord, that's justification. But sanctification is the application of the gospel, and so sanctification is, just by one definition, a progressive, ongoing work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives and daily living. Sanctification is the application of the cross in our life. It's the application of the truth of the gospel, the finished work of Christ. And a lot of times, uh, we don't know too much about that or pay too much about it because we've made such an emphasis on justification and getting saved, becoming born again. But how many of you know that, or if you don't know, just pretend you know for my sake, um, that God wants more than just to, if I could say it in a crass way, to have our tickets punched to go to heaven. God wants us to live a little bit of heaven, a little bit of the blessings of God right now, here today. What do we pray? I mean, we don't have to go any further than the Lord's Prayer. Lord, your will be done on earth, and we say, that's me, as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And so it's important just, and again, this is not in your listener's guide. This is, this is extra, but I think it's somewhat familiar. If you want, uh, email me, and I'll send you my notes, because all this is uh, something I put in after I did the outline in the bulletin. But it's important to distinguish between, again, justification and sanctification. Justification is my once and for all legal standing before the Lord. That does not change. I believe in the eternal security of the believer because the Bible teaches the eternal security of the believer. And so I've been justified once and for all, and that is a unique 
one-time work of God that has put me now in right standing through Christ before Him. And then sanctification, while justification is once for all time, sanctification is continuous. The only time I stop sanctification is when I die. And the Bible calls that glorification, that I now am in the presence of Christ and I'm given a, a new body. And so sanctification, according to 1 Corinthians 6.11, again, this is just, we'll get to the Lord's Prayer in just a minute, but this is all kind of just setting the table where we're going. But sanctification is something that begins at salvation. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. And if you read before that, he talks about all of those that are in that church in Corinth, that, um, and the, the sins of, and the sinners. How I many of you know the church is a collection of redeemed sinners, right? And he says, and such were, notice past tense, were some of you, but now you were washed, you were sanctified. So sanctification comes, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So the work of this being separated, and that's what sanctification, sanctify means. In the Old Testament, when they had various instruments and items that were used in the tabernacle or the temple uh, for various usage, whether it's candlesticks or, or bowls or different instruments in the, uh, the procedures of the temple or the tabernacle, those were instruments and items that were sanctified. They were separated. They were to be used exclusively for the work of the Lord. If there was a, a bowl to hold the anointing oil, they didn't clean it out and put a bowl of Cheerios and have breakfast in it. Okay? It was sanctified. It had a separate, special use. So that word is, think, is that God is separating us, setting us apart for His purpose. We read that scripture in Hebrews 12 to run the race that the Lord has set before us. God has a purpose for our lives. So it begins at salvation, but it also, according to 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it's a process that is to be grown and increased throughout our life. The Bible says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Notice again, he's talking about sanctification. That's something the believer, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And so we know, again, that this work of sanctification ends when we receive that new body. We are now departed from this life, this body, and we are in the presence of the Lord. Here's something that may be helpful in distinguishing is this threefold picture of the salvation in Christ. Justification means that I'm free from the penalty of sin. That's the work of Christ. That's the cross. Born again, I'm saved. But then the believer is in the process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit working in my life is freeing me from the power of sin. Okay, And then one day, glorification is that I will be forever and eternally free from the presence of sin. Okay, So keeping those separated. 
Now, justification, as I said, that's something that God does all by himself. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. You don't bring your Sunday school medals. You don't bring your good deeds, your good works. It isn't a, well, I hope the scales balance a little bit in my direction. Let me tell you something. The weight of your sin will knock that scale off the table. There is no balancing. It's a work all of God. That's what justification is. But sanctification, if I could say it this way, is when now as a born-again believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, I am cooperating with the presence of the Spirit in my life. I'm working. The Holy Spirit is drawing me to Himself. It is a cooperation. You see this combination in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says in verse 12, to work out your own salvation. Now, I didn't say work for, work out. Work it out. Your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the very next verse is the Godward side where it says, for it is who? God who works in you. So, pastor, is it me or God? Yes. Sanctification is yes. It's me and my choices, my actions, my daily application of truth in my life, but it's all coming from the empowerment of God's Spirit that is energizing me, if I could use that word, motivating me, working in me to do His will. There is nothing in our life about sanctification, there is nothing in our life, there's no part of my mind, my spirit, my will, my hobbies, my habits, there's nothing that Jesus does not want lordship over in my life. Some of you are familiar with that little booklet by Robert Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home, and he gives the analogy of a of a house with various rooms. And part of that little booklet that's helpful in talking about the sanctifying work of the Spirit is when the, the Lord is going through the house and there's a closet that He wants to get into and this fictional person says, Oh, no, no, I don't want you to look in there. I'm too ashamed for you to look in there. No, the Lord wants access to everything in your life. And that doesn't always happen automatically. And that's what we're talking about this morning is the work of sanctification. I want a deeper walk with God. Sanctification is me hungering and desiring and responding that I want to know more of God. I hope that you're not satisfied. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years, that there's something in you that is a holy dissatisfaction, that there's a hunger, a desire to know God. Philippians, Paul says, that I might know Him. I want to know Him. I want to I know Christ. In 1 John 2, 3, and verse 5, John says, Now by this we know that we know Him. How do we know that we know Him? If, if we obey, we keep His commandments. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly 
The love of God is perfected in him. That's sanctification. The love of God being perfected in my life. How many perfect people do we have here? Now, don't be snarky and say, positionally, I'm perfect. That's cheating. I'm not talking about that. Because you are positionally, you can't get any more perfect positionally before God. That's justification. But sanctification is that I am what? Perfecting the love of God in my life. You with me? All right? All right. We'll, we'll make it before the Super Bowl. I guarantee you we'll finish. All right? So going back to Hebrews, what does Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews say? Let us throw off. Let's get rid of anything that hinders our race. Notice he gives that picture of a race. Now, you can tell I was never a racetrack guy. The only racetrack is the one on North Avenue that I get gas at. That's the only racetrack I've ever experienced, all right? Um, so, but the race, those guys, they make sure that there's nothing physically on them to the point of shaving every hair on their body if it will give them a nanosecond advantage that it won't hinder them. Why? Because their eyes are on the what? Their eyes are on the prize. Nothing that will entangle them. Can you imagine a guy getting up, getting ready to run the race, and he's got a big old backpack on him? And they say, what's that about? Well, this, you know, I got my lunch in there, and I got my laptop, and you know, some things I just didn't want to leave up. No, I guarantee you, he's not going to win. Okay? But that's the way we run our race. We've got all this baggage that we've accumulated, all these hindrances, and the writer says, throw it off. Now again, we're talking to born-again believers this morning. This is teaching for believers. And so the result is that with all this baggage of all this stuff that entangles us, sometimes as, and I'm talking about the sins that so easily entangle us, is that oftentimes it's those things that as Christians, as Christians, born again, people that love the Lord, they're entangled in these things that snare them. They're like that vacuum cleaner. They're making a lot of noise, but they're not doing nothing. Nothing's happening. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of activity. Sometimes there's a lot of smoke, but nothing's happening. Why? Because you've got things that have entangled your progress. Proverbs 28.13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Now remember the Lord's Prayer? Verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. The New Century Version says, Forgive us, for our sins. Forgive us for our sins. It's interesting that the Lord incorporated this stanza in this prayer. It's not forgive us of our sins because we don't know our Father. No, where does He begin? He teaches us to say, our Father, my Father. So it's not a conditional in the sense of whether God's my Father or He's not. It's part of this relationship that the Lord Jesus teaches us in building us in 
of, of, if we could say it this way, of a very practical way to make sure that our lives do not become daily entangled in those things that will hinder us in our relationship and our walk with Christ. Forgive us for our sins. And I believe that this part here, if we will consider the implications of it, can really revolutionize our lives to experience a freedom of walking and knowing Christ in a way that we live a life that is free from shame, guilt, from sins that we battle and struggle with because we've never quite understood the provision that God has provided for us in Christ, that right here in this prayer, we make this a part of our routine. Forgive us of our sins. And this morning, I want to be real practical with you. And this is where your listener's guide, you can uh, use that. But this is just a very overly simplified way of looking at sanctification, of growing in Christ's likeness in my life. Nitty-gritty, practical, not theoretical. And I want to look at this morning five practical steps, whether you want to call it maintaining a clean heart, a clean conscience, it doesn't matter the title, but it's, but it's maintaining an untangled spiritual life. Sin will tangle you up. Sin will cause you to make a lot of noise, but not get anywhere in your life. Number one, the first step, and again, there could be more, less, whatever, but I knew you wanted to be home before 6 p.m. tonight, and I just am going to help you here. Number one, number one, first step, is review every area of my life. Review every area of my life. That's the first step. You could call this a personal assessment. It means... God, I'm going to get before you because I want to get untangled. Again, I'm not talking about being born again. You're born again. You're a Christian. But it's making a spiritual assessment, an inventory, a spiritual audit, if you will, to where you're saying, Lord, I, I want you, to, get, I want you to, to evaluate, and you're serious, those areas in my life that are entangling me from moving forward in my relationship with you. For example, in Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's a great prayer to pray. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Verse 24, point out anything in me that offends you. Wow. Point out, he's praying to the Lord. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There's something about the sunlight. There's something about the spotlight in the midst of darkness that reveals. You know how it is in your house? You've heard me give this illustration and you just dusted the previous few days. And you open up the blinds and you let this beautiful 
Florida sunshine come in, and guess what? You look at your tables, and you look at everything, and you think, oh my goodness, it doesn't look like I even touched this place. You see all the dust, all the dirt. It was there all the time. The sunlight revealed all the junk. The sunlight reveals what the darkness conceals. And so this prayer of Psalm 139, the psalmist is saying, God, I want you to turn your holy spotlight onto my life. And I want you to speak to me. I want you to, I'm going to have some time with you, Lord. This is serious conversations. This is not prayers, I lay me down to sleep, I pray my Lord the soul to keep or whatever that is, right? This is not that kind of prayer. Bless this food. This isn't those type of prayers. This is a prayer where you're getting gut level honest before the Lord. And here's a little secret if you had not figured it out. God already knows everything anyway, right? You're not like telling him something he doesn't know. But he wants you. He wants to reveal it in you. He wants you to see it. Again, for working out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you. This is something that we make application to in our life. Something a little more detailed that certainly today would not be able to go into, but many of you have taken the transformation class that one of our elders, Jim Hinder, teaches and has done so well for many, many years. And there's some things in the transformation specifically on its uh, several weeks, but on week six that uh, Jim teaches something and gets into something called where he, uh, the student, and it's a uh, sin inventory. Just the name of that scares me, right? A sin inventory. I'd like to do a sin inventory on your life, Sherry. I mean, we, I can do that all day long, right? But I don't want to look at me. It'd be a short list, all right? All right, be one, all right. Or she'd have a big journal. Um, but it's a self-audit, really not a self-audit. It's an audit between you and the Holy Spirit. It's really applying... What that psalmist says, point out anything in my life that offends you, that is wrong. And so some things that I am uh, stealing, but I did give credit from uh, Jim's notes here uh, that I found helpful is in just kind of in applying this particular principle here, is that uh, in Jim's notes, some things he says that I want to highlight. He says, we are not created by God to be able to handle pain in our souls. We don't like pain. We're not created to handle pain by ourselves. That's not something we like doing and want to do. And because we cannot live with pain, what are we looking for? We're looking for relief from pain. Right? We want to be relief from pain. And that brings us to that crossroads of choice in our life. And what we choose, listen to me carefully, and this is from his teaching notes, what we choose will take us towards gaining spiritual health, being a healthy believer, or 
perpetuating or increasing the damage to our souls. Choices, choices are sending our lives towards one or the other destination every moment we live. We make daily choices for, the Lord says, I put before you life and death. We make choices of life and death. Maybe not physical, but spiritual of the choices that we make. And the sins that we indulge. It doesn't matter how spiritual you believe you are or how good an upbringing you had or you had. But listen to this. Pain demands comfort and our background, whether you've been raised in a beautiful home, mother and dad lived their entire marriage, it doesn't matter. Pain demands comfort. It demands relief. And our background will not prevent us from choosing something, sin, for comfort, which often or always leads to a destructive destination. The wages of sin is what? It's death. Death is the product of these sinful choices that we make because we don't want to deal with the hurts and the pain. And again, I'm giving a very inferior cursory application to some of this. I do have a quote on the screen. Remaining sin. And see, this is something that's important as believers. When you became born again, you were not eradicated and became without sin. We still deal with sin. We still deal with sin. And if you don't, well, I'd like to meet you. Remaining sin, talking about believers, in our heart is using our emotions to tell us lies that are directing our lives. I'm going to read that again. Remaining sin in our heart is using our emotions how we feel, how we want to be comforted, to tell us lies that are directing our lives. It's never passive. Sin is never passive. And we make decisions based on those directions and those, and those choices. And these decisions lead us somewhere. And oftentimes, it'll lead to destruction. One of the things that is helpful in this particular class, and this is not the whole class, obviously, but this is a major component of it. And I asked Jim this morning, I said, what week is it that you see the big fall off? And it's usually this week when they're not, I mean, the week that they get into this subject of dealing with the sin that remains in the believer's life. Because it is as if the Holy Spirit is taking the scalpel, and getting down into the deep-rooted tissues. Sometimes we struggle and say, why do I do what I do? Well, an overly simplified answer is because of sin. Well, I'm not sinning. Why do I do what I do? Why do I react and act in the, in the way that I do? Well, the scalpel of the Holy Spirit wants to heal all those areas. But guess what? The Holy Spirit won't do it unless we invite Him to do it. If we really want 
change, transformation, not reformation. I'm not talking about the historical reformation. I'm not about not just reforming the old me and making me a new, you know, new, you know, new dress, new, ma- new whatever, clothes, whatever. But inside, there's no change of the heart. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth gives you away. That's why you say profanity on I-4, and you're thankful that nobody's around when they hear it. You're like, where did that come from? All right, I'm going to go around and slap some halos off your heads, all right? Guess what? It came from you. Where did that rage and anger explode from? Guess what? It came from you. One of the things that Jim uses is the seven deadly sins in looking at this personal inventory. And by the way, this is for the, this is for the students' benefit. And I think you had a phrase in your notes that this is a blessing of God to reveal this. You'll see on the screen a little graphic, um, and I'm not going to list these out, but for example, the This is the sin cycle. Notice what's right in the middle of the sin cycle. Pride. Pride. What does the word pride have right in the middle of it? I. I. Anger. It's the the attitude, the sin of anger. It's the attitude of always being displeased, always disapproving. I'm offended and I'm going to get even. It's anger. I've known people, and I'm not talking about just you know, getting a little annoyed about something, but I'm talking about a hair trigger that turns into a, to a from zero to a hundred like that. A deep-rooted anger. That's sinful. You see, the opposite of anger, of always being displeased and disapproving, is contentment. Now, that's something the Holy Spirit brings in our life. What about pride? It's at the center. It's the engine that drives all these things. Pride is that attitude of, arrogance, attitude of arrogance, of thinking I'm better than others are. Oh, I know other people need to obey these commandments, but I'm different. I, I don't. I, I got a VIP pass in the kingdom of God. No, you don't. You see, the opposite of pride is humility and having the attitude of a servant. Didn't Jesus teach us that? What about lust? Lust. Boy, that gets quiet when you talk about lust. I think I'll just say it again. Get you more quiet. Lust. (laughs) Lust is a sexual appetite. Listen to me carefully. Lust is a sexual appetite beyond God's boundaries within marriage. And marriage is defined by God as one man and one woman. Lust is an insatiable pursuit of sexual Pleasure. The opposite of that is the fruit of the spirit of self-control. But that's sin. Gluttony. Now, when you think of gluttony, you think of... What do they have now? The, the double, the double-double Big Mac, you know? Right? It's not about food. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's a sin. It's, it's feeding... Any type of appetite that I want more and more of something. It's, an, it's, a, it's a pass that I deserve and I'm entitled to indulge 
My mother had an addictive spirit about her, and she was at her wet. She was maybe 98 to 100 pounds. It wasn't food. But whether it was wine, whether it was this, whether it was that, gambling, whatever, she had an addiction of indulging herself in a sinful pleasure and appetite. The Holy Spirit wants to develop moderation and balance and well, envy, wanting what someone else has, whether, whether it's things, popularity, or success. You know, I deserve what they have. Why are they doing so well? I've worked hard. I've done this. I've done that. Why, why, why? It's an envy instead of a heart of gratefulness <coughs> for what God has given to you. You're always living a life of disappointment. You go around angry because your glass is always half empty and everybody else's is half full. How about greed? I want more and more. Stockpile. You know a way to get rid of greed or to deal with greed? Be generous. Be a giver. Here's one that I think affects more people than they realize. And it's sloth. It's not laziness. And really, that's what I would have called it. But it's not laziness. Listen. It's an unwillingness, sloth, these sins. It's an unwillingness to take care of myself. It's an unwillingness to take responsibility for myself financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Sloth. Failure to take responsibility. You see, the purpose, and again, the point is, is just pointing out that you start delving into some of these and you pray that prayer of Psalm 139 and you realize, oh, Holy Spirit, you sure you want to do this in my life? You sure you're game for this? Yeah, He is. He is. You see, the purpose of this inventory is to help, or again, there's nothing sacred of this list. It just well, that pretty much covers the basis, right? The purpose is for you to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the destructive, sinful choices that you are making and have made to ease your pain and comfort yourselves and rationalize your way through the destruction. Important question is, and again, the scripture that comes to mind is John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth shall make you what? Some people, you know, there is a, a condition of people who have spent so many years being incarcerated in prison that when they're let out and have freedom, they can't handle it because they become so accustomed to living as a prisoner. And they really don't. Freedom is a scary thing. How serious are you about God's blessing in your life? Are you willing to be honest before the Lord? That's just step one. It gets better. Because God isn't going to leave you there. Amen? Amen. Secondly, what do I do with what I learned? Secondly, is repent of every sin. Repent. Repent. 
Repent means, it means I take responsibility. Repent means to turn away, but it isn't just turning away. It isn't just refining and developing some, some new habits to control this bad habit or sin. It's turning away from those things that are destructive and turning toward God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away and turning to the goodness of God. Lamentations 3, 40 and 42. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled. That's what repentance is. That's what you do with repentance. That's what you do with those sins. It isn't just a Make you miserable. It doesn't mean that you rationalize your sin. We're good at that, aren't we? We're really good. We're professional rationalizers at why we do certain things. Sometimes we'll say, well, that sin wasn't a big deal. I didn't hurt anybody. Listen, you violated something before God. It is a big deal. God takes it seriously. You don't rationalize it. You don't minimize it. Well, it happened a long time ago. It doesn't really matter. You don't accuse. You don't uh, excuse. You don't blame others. What was the first thing that happened in the garden with Adam and Eve? Adam, this woman you gave me, God, she made me do it. <coughs> God says, even if it's 1%, your fault, take responsibility for the 1%. You see, the greatest holdup to my healing and your healing isn't that God is somehow holding out on us. It's not waiting on God. It's not waiting for somebody else. It's not waiting on whatever, the election or Whatever. You know what the holdup is? You. Me. I'm the holdup. God wants to bring healing into every area of my life. And God has given me everything. You realize He has already resourced me in Christ with everything I need for every spiritual healing that I'll ever have or want. Look at Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow. There it is. Sanctification. As you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this. How? By coming to know Him. Yet denial is a powerful thing. John says in 1 John 1.8, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Listen, 
Somebody better check their phone. Put it on the screen. Listen, here's here's a principle I want you to see. I will stop defeating myself when I stop deceiving myself. And this again isn't me. You don't bring your sin inventory to me or Jim or somebody else and we're going we're gonna to look at it and grade it. No, 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 no. It's not about that. This is you getting down serious before God and say, God, I am sick of the way that I'm living. I found that some people, you think they've hit bottom? Some people hit bottom and they whip out a shovel because they got new levels. They, they, they say, that ain't low enough. Right? And they'll dig a deeper hole. You think, oh, this is it. This is going to change their life. And you know what? They whip out that shovel. says, nope, I think I can go deeper. I think I can go deeper and down. Listen, this is a work that the Spirit of God does in the believer's life. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 16? Where he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. Unless I depart, and Jesus said, I will send him to you, verse 8. And when he has come, he will do what? He will convict the world of sin. You see, some of you have grown up in legalistic churches where your behavior was modified and controlled by external circumstances and control, but inside you were just you were still just as just as rotten and sinful and yet you were you were keeping a good image and a good perspective. You know, I always say that's like never taking a bath but changing clothes every day. That's what legalism will do. It presents a nice facade, but it doesn't deal with the real issues underneath. And so it becomes a way that we can do good at pretending and keeping an outward checklist. That's why I'm always hesitant. Now those sins, those are biblical sins. Notice I didn't whip out a list and say, okay, I watch Amazon Prime. Don't do that anymore. Don't watch Netflix. Oh, if you got Hulu, then you're, you're really teetering on hell. Um, you know, that if you do... No. You see, that's what we're good at. We're good at creating man-made lists. And you know what the thing... You know what the illusion is? We can keep the lists and still have a rotten, sinful heart that is not pleasing to God. That's the illusion of legalism. It's the illusion of pretending... There's a third, now that I've seen this freedom, I receive God's forgiveness. I'm not talking about the forgiveness of justification. Again, we're talking about believers. We're not being born again again. We're talking about the forgiveness that keeps me clean. You say, well, I, I, don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can do that. I mean... You don't know what I've done. Well, that doesn't matter. God knows, and you're seeking His forgiveness. And He tells us in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly, not in fear, 
Not in intimidation. Come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We could come boldly to the throne of grace. You see, we don't get God's forgiveness by begging God to forgive me. God wants to forgive you. He's made provision. He's already provided forgiveness. We just have to receive it, take it, apply it. We don't bargain or bribe God to forgive us. We don't say, okay, God, I'll, I'll start going back to church and I'll start tithing 50% and I'll, which doesn't, you know, you can't tithe. Tithe means 10, so anyway. But well, I don't bargain with God. I'm not bribing God. You know, God, I'll go on a fast and people treat fasts like hunger strikes. That somehow that God is going to bend. No, no, God don't want you to do anything like that. He just wants you to receive His grace. And his love and his forgiveness. You see, that's what's so wonderful about 1 John 1 9. But if, there it is, conditional. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Talk about confession. Confession is not saying, God, I'll never do that again, because you know you will. It's not bargaining. It's not begging. Confession is saying, you're right, God. I agree with you. That's literally what confession means. Now, I like watching uh, some of those you know, uh, reality crime shows like the first 48. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, and all those, and you see the pictures of them in the interrogation room, and they got the cameras or whatever, and the police are interrogating the, the uh, criminal uh, or the suspect. They lay out the evidence, the crime, the proof. And finally, they confess. What are they confessing to? They are confessing. They are saying, I am in agreement. You're saying I'm guilty. Here's the evidence. And so my confession is in agreement with what you are saying I am guilty of. That's confession. That you're in agreement with what God has laid out. That's all I confess is. Is God I admit. And I confess. And I speak the same as you. That you are absolutely 100% right. That this action. This behavior. That I've rationalized. That I've done in my whole life. Is that I, I agree with you. I confess. That what you say is right. And I'm wrong. And you see the beautiful thing about Romans 8.1 is there is therefore now no condemnation. Condemnation. Jesus received your condemnation. That's what justification is. He received the condemnation that you and I deserve. He received that. That's why for the believer, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who have been justified, who do not walk according to the flesh, that's sanctification, but according to to the Spirit. But don't confuse that verse with saying there is therefore now no conviction of the Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you and me in the work of sanctification and making us set apart to live as followers of Him. 
reason some people avoid church is because they're like, oh, that church is so legalistic. They're so this, they're so that. Often, not always, often, it's the conviction of the Spirit. And you know what you can do? You can, you can avoid it. And so you find you a church that tells you every day is a Friday. Or every day is a Saturday. I don't know what, what the title of it is. But every day that there, you know, you'll never be confronted with any of these issues. And so what do we do? The Bible says that in the latter days, there will be those that accumulate for themselves teachers who tickle the ears and say what people want them to say. Don't make us uncomfortable. Remember in Jeremiah's day, they threw him in jail and put him in stocks because he dared to speak the word of the Lord to the nation of Judah about Jerusalem's eventual judgment by God. They, they locked him up. They, they tried to kill the man. We don't want to hear that. You know, you ever done this as a kid or you had one of your kids do it where they put their fingers in the ear and they're like, da, 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 da. Romans 1 said that when God confronts sinful humanity with the truth, they intentionally suppress the truth because they don't want to hear it. And guess what as believers we do? We suppress the work of the Spirit because it's uncomfortable when the scalpel of the Spirit starts poking around in areas that we have become accustomed to enjoying because they, those sins bring us so much pleasure and comfort to deal with the hurt and pain. Listen, Jesus wants to heal your hurt and your pain. You know, we're never made to allow sin to bring healing, and it doesn't. Review areas of my life, repent, receive God's forgiveness. Number four, resolve to make restitution. One of the outcomes of time between you and the Holy Spirit in reviewing areas of your life might, might, not always might be that people that you have hurt and they know that you have hurt them. People that you may have cheated and they know that you have cheated them. People that you may have made a financial situation and you need to bring some restoration into that relationship. That's restitution. Now listen, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes that person, like, you know, the Lord just brought this conviction of this kid in high school, and I did this, and I did that. And you're like, I don't even know how, where the guy, I don't even know how to even reach him. Well, you know what? Don't, don't spend all your time. Just say, God, you know my heart. I, I just, I want, I want to be set free from that. The person may have died. You can't, you can't. Or the person may be married. Hello? And do not, do not get involved with that. I refuse to give you counseling if you do that. I will just tell you, sorry, go see Jim. Ding. Listen, it isn't always possible. And one of the things that annoys me is when people come up to you randomly and you thought everything was great and they come up to you and say, you know, 
um, I really had this thing against you, and I really hated you, and I just really was upset, and uh, I've just been living with this anger and this uh, plotting to, to hurt you and put sugar in your gas tank, and I've just come up with all these. Hey, don't do that stuff. If they don't know, between you and the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? Don't be silly. But if they know, and they are aware that you cheated them out of some money, let me give you a principle. Take your Bibles and look over to the chapter right before Matthew 6 and Matthew 5. I'll show you a principle. It will not be on the screen. So you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way and dial it up or open the Bible here. But this is a principle that Jesus gave in Matthew 5, verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, here's the principle, don't get off and worried about what Raka and all that. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go your way, and first become reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, we'd rather do something spiritual and not deal with the situation of a real flesh and blood individual person. Right? We'd love to do something spiritual to make us feel good. And Jesus says, look, leave your gift at the altar and go and do what is right between you and this individual. Then you come. Then you come and offer it unto the Lord. Notice next, I'm going to skip a few things, guys, upstairs. Number five is repeat. <laughs> repeat these steps regularly. Now, I haven't read in a long time, because I haven't been that bored in the shower, to read the label of the shampoo. But every once in a while, I've looked at it, and it says, you know, apply to hair, rinse, and repeat. They just want you to buy more shampoo. That's all that's about. You go through it faster. But according to my granddaughter, it's a secret of beautiful hair. But you can see I'm not that concerned about that. Wash and repeat. There's a good, there's good principle there, isn't it? Do you do this once and for all, and I don't ever have to? No. Repeat. How often do you take the garbage out in your kitchen? Once a month? Once a year? Sometimes every day. Because some of you are messy. No, I don't know. <laughs> you take it out. Why? Because if you don't, what's it going to do? It's going to smell. It's going to stink. God wants us to quit making our lives stink because of the accumulation of the garbage that we allow in our life. And right here in this 
Lord's Prayer, He has built in a component for believers to ask, forgive us, forgive me of my sin. I own my sin. And it isn't just general help all the poor children of the world, but it's saying, God, I want to get real before you. I am, again, tired of the stuff that I do, and I've been doing it for years that it's become a companion, this behavior, and they'll just say, oh, that's just the way so-and-so is. You know them. That's just the way they are. Listen, don't be content with that. And I'm probably speaking to very few people here today because the majority of believers are not interested in this. They're just not. That's why the time you get to that class, they're AWOL. Because they don't want to deal. Listen, here's a little secret. Living the Christian life is sometimes hard work. And sometimes it's unpleasant work. I'll close with this principle and make it a prayer where I say, God, I don't want to carry in tomorrow the garbage of today. I don't want to carry in tomorrow the garbage of today. Can God use you? Yeah. He doesn't matter if you're a poor vessel, ordinary vessel, uneducated vessel, shy vessel. But the one vessel that he will not use is a dirty, unclean vessel. Because God is a holy God. H-O-L-Y. Holy God. The scripture in your handout, the Hebrews scripture, verse chapter 10. I want you just to notice a couple of things because I think this is important. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess that he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what you notice there? Three times in the NIV. It might be one more in your version. But notice the phrase, let us. You see, that's what a church family does. It's not lone rangers. It's not you doing the work of the sanctification work alone or by yourself. Different. It's let us. Let us. We are to take these steps and do them together, encouraging one another, being there for one another. Let us encourage one another to lay aside every weight and run with perseverance. Let's pray.